this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you need a, a Bible this morning, we have some in the back, feel free to grab them. Uh, I was standing in line this week and saw a birthday card on the shelf that I, I wanted to look at. Had a, it was a Hallmark card, had a woman lounging in a, in a chair, and it said, it's your birthday, relax, put your feet up, have people bring you things, you know, pretend you're a man. Okay, you guys didn't quite laugh as much. I thought it was funny and cringeworthy all at the same time. My wife laughed at it, like, it is funny and slightly terrible because it, it highlights... Um, it highlights a truth about this broken world that, that men and women don't necessarily treat each other very well. And particularly men have a long track record of abusing uh, women and mistreating them and using our, our, our power and our physical might uh, for our own interests at the expense of others. It's, it's a hard thing. And this dynamic, I mean, we see it playing out in politics, we see it on the news, we see it in the relationships with our neighbors and in Hollywood, like all the way out there. And then if we're honest, most of us also see that dynamic playing out in our own homes, in our own lives. We all are faced with that choice to use what we have uh, for our own ends or for the interests of others. I always say like family is the hardest place to live out your Christian identity. It's the hardest place to live out your Christian walk. Like being holy out there (laughs) or by yourself is really, really easy. Trying to live a holy life with family, oh, that is an entirely different story. We're all broken. But this morning, we're going to take a look at what the gospel has to say about how we treat one another, particularly as family. And if you walk away this morning feeling offended, then I've done my job, uh, because we're not going to cover anything that is at all offensive to anyone. We're not going to mention the word submission or slavery or anything. Actually, we're going to do all of that. So, um, so God, give me grace um, and, and help me. See, Paul cares a lot about our Christian walk, our, 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 the ways that we show Jesus to the world. He wrote this amazing letter called Ephesians, and in the first three chapters, he's telling us, guys, this is what Jesus has done for you. This is all the blessings that because of Christ, God has poured into your life together. And then in chapter four, he says, now live like it. Live like it. Walk worthy of this good news by, by building the church that Christ loves by keeping the unity that Christ died to create, by living a wholly separate life, which means we don't look like every other group of humans in the ways that we get together. And then this morning, Paul is going to continue that line of thought and then show how it particularly looks in the relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 15. Paul says, be very careful then how you live. The reason he says to be careful is because back in verse 13 and 14, he says, when we live as people of light, we expose deeds of darkness. And sometimes, by the way that we live, people who were once in darkness become light. Like they can actually 
learn the ways of Jesus by watching the way that we live together. We need to be careful how we live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So two things. Don't be foolish. Live wisely. All right? Don't, uh, don't be unwise. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't be unwise. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Understand God's will. And these are ways that Paul is referencing what he was talking about back at the chapter 4, verse 17. These are ways that we stop living the way together we once did as the rest of the Gentiles and those who don't know God. We don't live that way anymore. Instead, we look more and more like Jesus as we ever increasingly put on his likeness together. See, this is God's will. Not like God's will for your individual life or or yours, but God's will for us that we would be saved in Christ, that we would build the church, that we would love one another and speak truth to one another, that we would be a holy people. Like this is God's will for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. We should understand that. Let's not live like the rest of the people. And Paul says, and make the most of every opportunity because the days are, are evil. And while a time management seminar would probably be a good thing for all of us to attend, let, let's not lie, but, but I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. Paul has been referencing the fact that this present age that we live in, the world is broken, it is evil, it is underneath the influence of spiritual beings opposed to God and in rebellion against him. So let us, as God's people, take every opportunity to live out our identity in Christ together, by building the church, living holy lives, loving one another, speaking the truth. This is how we make the most of every opportunity. Or another way you can translate it is redeeming the time. For these days are evil. Paul continues, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on spirits. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't... to to broaden this out, don't use substances that take you away from the helm of your life. Okay, don't don't use things that will make you be out of control and live wild and reckless and make decisions that when you finally wake up, you're going to go, oh, that was a bad idea. No, no, instead be, be empowered together by God's spirit. Here's what it looks like. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. All right? We're quoting scripture to each other. We're singing hymns, like, like teaching set to music, and, and spiritual songs, just songs designed to catch us up and, and help us to properly order our emotions by the Spirit. We speak to one another, and then we sing, and we make music. There's a reason that we sing on Sunday mornings. These are things that are brought about by God's presence when we're empowered by the Spirit. We sing and make music from our heart to the Lord. And we always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we submit to one another out of reverence or fear for Christ. So here's here's how it works out. Like the five-fold example of what it looks like being filled with the Spirit. We speak and we sing and we make melody and we give thanks and we submit. Can you imagine when you entered... Uh, a building where Christians were, that as the old song said, you knew that 
there would never be heard a discouraging word. A couple of you guys chuckled. You, you went to the same kindergarten I did, apparently. Uh, but, but this idea, we should give thanks always for all things. No, no criticism, no complaining. I know it's a national pastime, but, but what if instead we lived out of profound gratitude always for all things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ and we give thanks to him? And then perhaps, you know, the $10 million word this morning is that word submit. And I know for many of us that kind of rings like nails on a chalkboard, like, ah, oh, submit. Because, um, because Christians have not always treated one another very well. And the passages that we're going to go into this morning have been um, used as weapons against people. And some of you bear the scars of it. And I'm sorry. So we want to acknowledge that if we don't understand what Paul is talking about, we can hurt people with the word of God and not just by throwing a Bible at them. But if we, if we really get it, if we live this out, our, our lives will be changed. Paul says to submit one to another, yield one to another out of reverence or fear of Christ. It, when I was young, I don't know if you guys had this experience Sometimes my parents would drag us kids to a wedding and they'd put us in uncomfortable clothing and they'd expect us to sit still through a long, boring service that we didn't want to be. And they told us that our behavior had to, you know, basically they're saying, don't screw this up. Like, no matter how angry you might be at your brother for stealing your crayon, don't make a scene because there's something more important that's going on here. Like, I, I think that's kind of what Paul is saying, loosely. As Christians, when we gather together, we yield one to another out of reverence for Christ because what Christ has done is more important than you and I. Like, what Christ has done is more important than, than honestly, almost any conflict that we could have. We yield to one another because Jesus matters. He matters so, so much. This is his special thing. We're not going to screw it up. And now then Paul will go into, now this is what it looks like in particular. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Deep breath. Let it out. All right. Um, in, in my Bible here, it says, you know, uh, this one actually is different. My, I have a different Bible that says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, period. Then in, in bold like or italics letters, new section, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, this NIV changed it up, and instead they say, uh, giving thanks to everything for God our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, new section. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your husbands. And what these people who put together our Bibles are trying to do is they're trying to show us there's a new section in Paul's thought, but also something weird is going on. And that word submit in verse 22 is borrowed from verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And the whole reason I bring this up is because if we read this as Paul all of a sudden stopping his conversation about what being filled with the Spirit is and going, wives, submit to your husbands, we, we've screwed it up. 
There's a tone thing going on here. But I can, I can explain it, but I'm not going to explain it away. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the body of the church, his body, of which he is a savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, let each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now that we are all feeling properly uncomfortable, let's go into this. Um, these, these are words I told my wife will never come up in conversation. Because Paul does not say, husbands, please remind your wives that they are to submit to the Lord. No, no, no. Husbands, my job is to look like Jesus to my wife. And what, what does that mean? Well, it means die for her. It means lay your life down. Jesus died to save the church. Jesus gave himself for the church. It says, when Jesus now, presently at the right hand of God in heaven, Lord of the universe, and what is he doing there? He is praying and making intercession for us. In John chapter 13, Jesus, when he realized that God had given everything into his control, he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he went to wash his disciples' feet. Husbands, love your wives like that. And so, Wives in an ideal situation, the person that you're submitting to would look like Jesus. And, and submission would be a delight and a joy to yield uh, your desires to, to them because they have their best interest at heart. And husbands, you know, in an ideal world, this person that you're loving would, would respond to the love and the care that you're pouring out. And you would rejoice in that. Because Jesus is loving the church so that we might belong to him. Like the more he pours into us and the more beautiful we get as the people of God, the more he can delight in us and cherish us. So husbands, when you love your wives, you are, you are pouring into someone who will belong to you. Like you have a better wife at the end of it. Like this is an amazing, amazing truth. And there's some spiritual, mystical union that I can't explain, but is nonetheless true that that when a man and woman join themselves in covenant marriage with one another, uh, and it involves the, you know, our, the sexual expression that expressed in marriage, two people are united and become a new entity. You are now one flesh, one body in two persons. And this, Paul says, oh, this is actually, I'm talking about Christ in the church here. We are now in Christ. We are now as a church united with him. And this marriage relationship is a picture of that. 
But here's the thing. If it doesn't look like Jesus, then we've gotten it wrong. If it doesn't look like Jesus, then we have screwed this up. See, Paul continues. He says, now children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Children, obey your parents. This is good. And God has this promise that if you listen to your parents, you will actually prosper. <laughs> you will thrive. Um, listen to them. And, and then fathers, not parents, but especially dads, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In Colossians, Paul says, don't embitter them. Like, don't make them angry. And I used to wonder why, why Paul would single out dads and single out that particular thing don't make him angry. I understand it now because this is a problem uh, and it's all too easy to do. And then Paul continues, he says, and slaves or, or bond servants, but slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. The Lord bless the reading of his word. We're going to stop there. Yeah, there's nothing there that we really need to wrestle with, right? Like, slaves, obey your masters. Like, Paul, why don't you just say, like, slaves, this is a terrible thing, and masters set him free. He kind of alludes to that in, in Philemon. But he actually says, obey your masters. And he, and he says, with fear and trembling, which is, the, the words that are used elsewhere in the scripture to say, like you would obey God. Like, what, is, what is Paul doing? And, and if we get this wrong, this is terrible, terrible news. Um, and we have gotten it wrong as a church, and we have wounded and hurt people with these words. But if we get it right, I think it, I think it really changes everything. There's good news here to get. See, a couple things going on. One, Paul gives like over half the section to husbands' wives' relationships. And then, you know, parents and children, is really small, slaves and masters is, is pretty small. Some people have said that's because there's something really amazingly special about a husband-wife relationship. And I, I don't necessarily disagree that there's something special about the relationship, but I don't think that's why Paul is spending so much time here. I think Paul is doing something. He said, this is what it looks like to submit. And he's grabbing general household codes, uh, you know, just the common relationships of his day. And he is changing the way that we look at all of them because of Jesus. So in every instance, in all six of these different groups of people he's talking to, the Lord comes up. Wives, as to the Lord. Husbands, like Jesus. Children, in the Lord. Fathers, Train them in the Lord. Slaves, serve Christ, your master. Hey, masters, you too. You also have a master. Like Jesus utterly changes the way that we view our relationships 
with one another. And earlier in Ephesians, Paul went out of his way to say that we are children of God now, that God has predestined us to adoption as as sons of God. We are part of God's household. He's already kind of given us an explanation to then talk to us about how we relate as fathers and children. He's saying, imitate God in your relationships, parents to your kids. Parents and, and children, you both have a father in heaven. So in light of how God has treated the church, now you guys respond appropriately to that. Which means fathers recognize that these children in your home only kind of belong to you. They have a father in heaven too. You are raising someone else's kids. God cares about them. Don't make them angry. Don't treat them as second class citizens. Don't treat them as your property to just run over whenever you feel like it. No, teach them about Jesus and exemplify Christ to them. Children, obey your parents. Okay, This is good and right, like you would obey your heavenly Father in the Lord. This is how we should live this out. Paul has talked in chapter 3. He says, I, Paul, a slave of Jesus, a bondservant, depending on your translation. Now, he's a, he's a slave. He's a slave of Christ. Christ has come and saved Paul. Christ has come and redeemed Paul and forgiven Paul of all of his sins and then called Paul to this amazing ministry to tell people about how good Jesus is. And that ministry has landed Paul in jail. And now Paul is a happy slave. He is so glad that he rejoices to be part of God's household. Jesus just tells him where to go and he goes. And and Jesus has done that for all of us. Jesus has given each one of us grace and gifts so that we can serve and bless other people. He is our Lord, our master, So all of us are kind of slaves. And so Paul has given us an explanation. And now he talks to slaves and masters here. And he says, slaves, you people, you have no no political voice. You have really no rights. Here's the thing. Everything that you do is seen and acknowledged by God. And God loves you. And he shows no favoritism. Everything that you do matters. So I'm asking you slaves to obey your masters, not because they're fantastic, outstanding people, but because you have a master in heaven and you're serving him. And nothing that you do will go unnoticed. Oh, masters, remember, you have a master too in heaven. Both of you guys work in the economy of God's household. Give up your threatening. Like Paul Paul is utterly changing the paradigm. These people, they're just not here for you anymore. He's calling everyone to see themselves in light of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it changes everything. Later on in a book, called Philemon, we'll get there. Paul brings out this whole idea of like, if you are in the family of God and if Christ has redeemed you, then set your slave free. Okay. But he's changing it. And so when he comes to husband and wives, he gives a lot of explanation, which is weird because chapters four and five up to this point have mostly been urging. Paul's telling us to do things. Like we had the first three chapters of explanation, and then he says, now, here's everything to do, husbands and wives. Oh, wait, I haven't talked about husbands, wives. And he goes back into explanation. He says, guys, let's think about how Jesus loved the church, how he is our husband, how we have become one body with him, and how Jesus is our example, how he lays his life down for the church, and we, the church, joyously respond to him and receive his grace 
and receive his blessings and we submit to his word and we yield to Christ. And Paul says, great, now that we've explained it, okay, wives, as unto Jesus, submit yourselves to your husbands and respect them. Because it's not actually about your husbands, it's about Christ. And husbands, die for your wife. (laughs) Like, let yourself be totally given over to love and bless and serve them. And in all those relationships, if it doesn't look like Jesus, we screwed it up. We haven't done it appropriately. But it's not easy. This is what a spirit-filled life looks like. When we give ourselves over to bless and to love one another. I've said it before. It's just such a little simple switch where we all live self-interested lives and Jesus demonstrates and calls us to live others-centric lives. (laughs) It's like the most impossible switch to turn. And it takes the power that raised Jesus from the dead to enable this to happen. But when we do, when we do, man, I I think the world would just watch. Like, turns out our family is, is the proving grounds of our holiness. Paul even uses that language. Husbands, your wife is your own body. Love your wife as yourself. He's taking this idea from the scriptures that love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying your wife is your closest neighbor. Love her. Die for her. Look like Jesus. So in all this, we are to look like Jesus one to another. In all our relationships, imitate Christ together. Because if it doesn't look like Jesus, then we've screwed it up. So I had a chance to practice this this week. My birthday was on a Friday. Birthdays, it's a day, and it gets to be all about me. I love it. I love it. And I had plans, and my wife got really sick, and some of my kids were sick. And so my plans got canceled, and I got to take care of my wife and kids all day. And it was really disappointing. I was super bummed. And halfway through the day, I decided to uh, reflect on what I'm about to teach and like, Two, two and a half days. Yeah, this is good for me too. And to say, I actually have an opportunity here to look like Jesus to my wife and kids. I think I got more enjoyment out of doing that than I would have if it had just been the day all about me. Like, these people are worth it. Like, I love these people. God has given me these people. They are a blessing. Like, what a joy to love and, and serve them. I fail at this all the time. This is not easy. We can own it. But when we get this right, when we get this right, we we truly demonstrate, I think, light in the world. Like, what would it be like if, if we knew that the moment that we came around a group of Christians, wives, you would never be mistreated. You would never be run over. You would never be counted as someone worth 73 cents on the dollar. But that you would be empowered and equipped, and you know that everyone there is there to protect you and not to use you. Sorry, I said wives. I meant to say women, because here's the thing. If you're not married, and if you don't have kids, and you don't live with your parents, and you don't own or are a slave, uh, I didn't just waste half an hour of your time, I hope. Uh, like, I think Paul is, he's giving us a paradigm. He says, in all the relationships, look like Jesus. So with your coworkers or with your manager, <clears throat> Okay, maybe your manager's a jerk and has no idea what they're doing with their life. 
um, or with yours, still you are a worker as unto Christ. So even when you're not being watched, don't be like everyone else and do the barest minimum possible. You serve Christ. Be the best possible worker you can be, for instance, because Jesus has given everything for us. We got to get creative. And what would it be like, you know, men, if we came into a group of Christians and we know that anytime we're here, we will never be criticized, scorned, or verbally cut down by a woman. That we are a place where we respect one another, where, where strength is used to serve, and where we are called to a, a higher level, where children are valued and respected and taught the ways of God, and where we all have patience, not only with our kids, but with other people's kids too. Because they have a father in heaven who loves them and has created them. What would it look like if our kids realized that they'll never be more loved than when they get together with a bunch of Christian people? It's not easy, but what if? What if if every person in society, no matter what what economic class they come from, no matter what, you know, skin to nationality, what language they speak, they know that if they came in here, they would be loved and blessed because God has loved and blessed us. And we were people that just are committed to looking like Jesus in all our relationships. So here's the thing. Jesus gave all of this to us when we least deserved it. So we can't call people to earn it first before we're willing to show up and bless them. And we can't call people to deserve it before we're willing to respect them as people created in the image of God. And we can't, we can't call people to earn our love and affection. We're called to give it freely because that's what God has done for us. Again, if it doesn't look like Jesus, we have screwed it up. And, and it makes me so sad that the world, by and large, and the media portrays a Christianity that has just not lived up to what we say we believe and what the scriptures teach. But every once in a while, you hear a story and it just changes your life. I don't know what about this story sunk into my heart, but it's been with me ever since I was 18 or 19. I was listening to the radio. I Googled it, and I think the guy's name is Robertson McQuilkin. I'm going to screw that up. Uh, He was president of a university, I think Columbia, been married for, you know, 40-some years, eight years away from retirement. He's a man who's at the peak of his game. He's at the high point in his, his ministry and his career. When he finds out that his dear wife has got Alzheimer's, and she's beginning to lose it, and she needs him. And, and this is happening at a time when many people suggest to him, well, put her in a home and carry on. You're needed. You're important. You're special, and she's, well, she's just not the person that you married. And he said, no. No, 40 years ago, I made a promise to love this woman in sickness and in health, and she has walked with me for 40 years, and now she needs me. And so he left his career, and he went and he served a woman who didn't remember much for a decade until she died. And later wrote a book about it called A Promise Kept. And it wasn't easy. But it was like Jesus. Oh, that we would be known as people that love like Jesus.
to imitate him together. Beginning with those closest to us and then extending outward to a world who needs to hear good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we can't do this. God, you know the people that we have to live with. And you know the people, you, you know the person those we have to live with have to endure. Uh, Father, we need the power of the Spirit working in us together to help us to look like Christ. And so, Father, I, I do pray for your empowerment. I pray for humility. I pray for grace. I pray that we would practice one to another, yielding our own desires um, so that the others might flourish. That, that we would have, you know, the competitions to see who gets to give in this situation. That we would be a people full of generosity and thanksgiving. But Father, unless your spirit changes us, we're not going to get there. And we thank you for the, the promise of the gospel that one day you're going to complete your work in us. Um, and so, Father, I, I pray today for the empowerment to just put off the way that we used to be and to put on the likeness of Jesus a little bit more towards our, our wives and our children and our coworkers and to our neighbors and to the, the person down the street that we can't stand and, and to one another. Uh, and that slowly, Lord, that we would, we would live in such a way that the people may disagree uh, with us, but they'd have nothing bad to say about us because we live good lives towards one another and we love them just like Jesus did. Father, bless your people this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I'd like to invite you to